Thanks, Kevin. Um, and thanks, Aaron, wherever you are. Um, <laughs> little hand in the back. Yeah, that was awesome. And um, so the, the Saturday afternoons, we do a little bit more of kind of like a workshop teaching type format. So we won't do a response time. Um, but I want you to take those questions that Kevin asked you to write down and and actually bring them to Holy Spirit. We have like an extended break this afternoon. There's lots of time after you go home from the advance and really like wrestle through them and really work through them. And also don't do it alone. Like obviously do it with Holy Spirit, but also do it with the people around you, like people that you've met. So during the break, over dinner, later tonight, after the session, like actually talk to some of the people that you have met here about those questions. And I just encourage you, like, be honest and be vulnerable. Like even Kevin and Aaron were sharing their story and just say, yeah, this is actually, I know God's been asking me to do this and I've been really disobedient and I don't know what to do because I'm at the edge of the cliff and like, I can't jump off. I'm just scared. So I encourage you to do that. Um, one of the most powerful things about that prophetic act that Lena had us do for me was not about getting to be with Kevin and put the mantles on or having like Travis and Trevor kind of just put the fire and the Holy Spirit into each of you, but how she had all of the community line up together. And if you know it, like by the end of it, it was like out the door, right? Like curling around and like out into the lobby and it's like, yeah, like we actually need to connect with each other. We need to be in communion with each other in a way that is building that funnel, those riverbanks that are taking what God is doing out of the room and out of the altar. And that's why I'm saying, like, don't wrestle through this on your own. This advance is not just about individuals getting catalyzed in their own destiny. This is about all of us as a community moving forward together. Um, and it's really significant. So um, kind of on, on that note, um, I want to invite a really uh, special voice from our community up to share her story. So um, Coraline, I won't give you much of an introduction because I know you'll share your story and probably share it like just a tiny bit better than I would, like just like a little bit. Um, but I remember Coraline like first hearing about you in the early days of resurgence and I think you had just moved to back to Edmonton or somehow had just heard about resurgence just had heard about it and we heard from Josh Chapman oh this girl Coraline is she has to come to resurgence and she's gonna come and you came to this prayer meeting and like you know you meet people and like instantly you're just like wow like I know that this person is so wise and like so grounded but also so fun, like, I just love her. So um, Coraline has been through a lot, um, and it's just a story that, and in, um, a work that God has done that you guys need to hear, so. All right, thank you. <laughs> so in sharing some of my story with you this afternoon, um, I know it's my story, but my prayer is that this is going to help each one of you look at your own story in a new light. Um, as part of the body of Christ, we're all part of a much bigger story that God's been writing since the beginning of time. So if anything, I hope this afternoon we catch a glimpse of how awesome that really is to be a part of that. So have you guys ever made like a five-year plan? 
<laughs> have you ever thought about what you wanted to happen in your life and then you tried to figure out how you were going to make it happen? I think if we're honest, we all have some form of a blueprint in our mind of what our future will look like, whether or not it, we've actually written it down. We kind of just all have this thing in the back of our minds. Um, I grew up in a Christian home in the Edmonton area. And for the most part, I had a pretty safe and predictable childhood. And the plot that I kind of figured would play out in my life uh, involved, you know, graduating from high school, getting a career. And then I figured that shortly after, Mr. Wright would come along, sweep me off my feet, we'd get married, and then I'd start a family with him. And that's not exactly your bestseller kind of material for a story, but it was safe, and that's what I wanted. Um, I came to Christ at a young age, and I made serving God a priority in my life. So in my mind, why shouldn't he reward me by letting it all play out that way? Um, so as life played out, I watched my friends one by one find love and get married. And love seemed to elude me, and it didn't seem fair. It seemed like it was easy for everybody else. And as much as I tried, as hard as I prayed, I couldn't seem to make that part of my life happen. And uh, I was in my late 20s when God brought me to the realization um, that I needed to give up trying to help God work out the details of my life. I had to let go and trust him with my future, even if that meant things didn't happen how or when I wanted them to. And the amazing thing was, when I did surrender it to him, I had this amazing sense of peace and assurance that he really did have it under control. So in that season, I had this great plan. Um, my cousin and I, Tyler, we, we decided we were going to go to Australia for a month and celebrate our seasons of singleness. And, and I think God kind of chuckled at that because a month before we were set to leave, this handsome cowboy from Grand Prairie enters the picture. And he asked me to be his valentine. So boys, there you go. That's, that's the key word there. You know, ask the girl to be your valentine. Go big or go home because he got a good response. Um, I remember celebrating and rejoicing over this turn of events and being like, God, you're so much better at writing this story than me. And yeah, from the very beginning, it was so clear that God was in the relationship um, it was in our second weekend of dating that God revealed to each of us separately that we had found the person we were waiting for. Um, five months later, Jesse asked me to marry him, and on December 3rd, 2011, we were married, and I moved to begin a new life with him in Grand Prairie. We had a blissful first year of marriage, and on our first anniversary, we were also celebrating the fact that we were expecting a baby in May. I felt like, finally, my life is on track, you know, I'm finally getting everything that I wanted. You know, I had anticipated a different timing, but God had been faithful, and he rewarded me for my patience with the gift of this amazing man. You know, I was finally getting everything I wanted. Um, March 7th, 2013, so I'm like six and a half months pregnant at this point. It started as a pretty ordinary day. Earlier in the week, Jesse and I had returned home from uh, our baby moon in Mexico. And uh, I was up early for some uh, routine prenatal tests at the lab. 
and uh, Jesse was still in bed as I was about to head on my way out the door. And I felt this, this little nudge, I guess I would call it. And I was just about to go downstairs and I just felt something say, go back and say goodbye to him. And in that moment I thought, you know, he always makes a point of kissing me goodbye when he leaves before me. So I thought, yeah, like, I'll go back and I'll, I'll say goodbye to him. So I crept back into the room and I woke him up. I gave him a kiss and I told him that I loved him, said goodbye before continuing on with my day. And what I didn't know then was that the nudge was the Holy Spirit. That afternoon, an RCMP officer came to the dental office that I worked at and informed me that Jesse had been killed in an industrial accident that morning. I crumpled to the floor in shock, overcome with fear, my mind became a turbulent storm of questions. What am I going to do? God, how could you let this happen to me? How could you let this happen to our child? I trusted you. What did I do wrong? What did Jesse do wrong? I don't deserve this. This isn't fair. I did things your way, and this is my reward? Why? 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 In the midst of this, the police officer kept asking me who they could call to come get me. And I couldn't come up with anyone who wasn't four hours away or that shouldn't find out the news over the phone. And I've never felt more alone. Eventually, uh, Jesse's parents came to get me. And later on that night, my parents arrived in Grand Prairie. I went through the coming days and restless nights and what felt like a dizzying, thick cloud of fog around me, at times numbness, and at times extreme despair. Looking back on that time, I can say that God brought me through that week and the ones to come. He gave me the strength to stand when I should have been crippled. And there's a worship song based out of the Psalms that I've always loved. And I just remember listening to it that week. And the words are, I will bless the Lord forever. I will trust him at all times. He has delivered me from all fears. He has set my feet upon a rock. I will not be moved. And I'll say of the Lord, you are my shield, my strength, my portion, deliverer. My shelter, strong tower, my very present help in time of need. Listening to that song, I wondered if I really believed those words. Was I really going to bless and trust God at all times? I've come to realize that part of surrendering, part of trust is surrendering my need to understand it all. To be able to say, God, I don't understand, and I don't even like this, but I still believe you are who you say you are. When I submitted that to him, he really did deliver me from the consuming fear that was holding me captive. The Lord gave me the peace that passes all understanding. And it really is all that. Like, I can't explain it. There's times when... In the natural, I, I can't even tell you why I have peace. Like, in the natural, I shouldn't really have a reason to have peace. 
He's given me the strength to do things I didn't think I could do. Sometimes that has looked like delivering the speech of my life to 700 people who had shown up for Jesse's memorial. And sometimes that's just meant getting out of bed in the morning. I didn't know how I was going to face delivering our baby without Jesse there to support me. Yet that peace was with me on May 28, 2013, when my son Jesse Charles Frankie came into the world. I'll spare you the graphic details, but I will say that in a long, complicated delivery, God came through at the last moment when my strength was gone and I didn't know if I could do it. There's a paraphrase of Philippians 4.13 by J.B. Phillips that reads, I am prepared for anything through the strength of the one who lives in me. And maybe that scares you. You don't really want to be prepared for anything. Trust me, you probably won't feel prepared in the moment. In the unexpected times of trouble, you will discover what it is to operate out of the strength of the one in you. And in time, you may even be able to see that God did prepare you by giving the tools you needed to face the challenge before it even came your way. Being a single mom is a challenge I never dreamt I would have to face. Yet, on some of the hardest days, my son Jesse, which means gift of God, by the way, has been the biggest blessing with his joyful spirit, contagious laughter, and lately, his lively dancing. I won't get into every hard thing that has resulted from losing my husband Jesse, but I will say that the Lord has been faithful to walk with me in every struggle. He has provided in so many ways. Every time I've needed to take a step, God has been there to open the door I needed to walk through. If there was a need, God provided. That being said, it hasn't been easy. I would describe it as, it's like I'm walking in the darkest night. I don't really know what direction I'm heading or what obstacles I might run into. All I can do is focus on the one small step that I need to take at a time. And sometimes that feels like a death-defying leap off of a cliff. Um, Then, just when I'm not sure if I can take another step, God whispers to me through the blackness, reminding me that he is there directing me. And I have the courage to continue. I had one of those moments two days after Jesse died. I awoke with a very clear memory of a Bible study I had done five years earlier. I remember Jesus' conversation with Peter at the Last Supper as he tries to warn him of what is to come. It's found in Luke 22, verses 31 to 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I'd always believed that God was in control of everything. I knew he could have protected Jesse from that accident. I even believed he could have raised Jesse from the dead. This almost made it harder to take because if he could do it, then why didn't he? It certainly wasn't from a lack of being asked. 
But I woke with this scripture on my heart, and I felt God speaking to me. Sometimes God allows us to be sifted in this life, that our faith might be tested. Now, I don't want to get into a theological debate of why bad things happen to people or who causes them or anything like that. I think there's a lot of different factors and we don't have time to address them all. But the point I want you to get that is that God is in control and yet he doesn't always protect us from hard things. And I know that's a scary thought. But listen to what Jesus says in the second part of that scripture. Jesus tells Peter that he has prayed for him that the purpose of this isn't for his faith to fail. Jesus knew even before Peter's sifting that it was going to happen. He was praying about this situation even before Satan got to get his hands dirty. So if God allows you to be sifted, you've got Jesus on your side praying for you even before it happens. I mean, can you guys even wrap your mind around that? I know being a North American means we tend to have pretty comfortable lives. Uh, Living here and even being a Christian doesn't exactly mean we're going to see much in the line of persecution or suffering. And it can make it pretty easy to buy into the idea that following God is about adding to our own lives to make it better. That with life life with Christ, our lives should be easy, fair, and pain-free. And somehow we can miss the line in John 16, 33 that says... In this life, you have tribulation, trials, distress, and frustration. You see, God is more interested in your character than your comfort. Have you thought about the fact that some of the biggest heroes of our faith had lives that were anything but easy? Probably one of the most classic examples is in the book of Job. And here we meet a man God calls blameless. Yet Job loses his employees, his livelihood his possessions, his children, and eventually his health. On top of that, his wife and friends, the people who should have been there for him, are insisting that he must have done something to deserve this. None of them knew of the battle that was going on in heaven. The Job was being tested because he was a righteous man, sifted, if you will. And you see, Satan might have a plan The Bible says he goes about like a roaring lion, that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He intends the process of trials, hardships, and suffering to be damaging. He wants them to seem meaningless. But God is sovereign. There is nothing that gets past him that he doesn't allow. God sees beyond the trials we go through in this life to his purpose. Nothing is meaningless in him. I heard Lisa Bevere say that Satan's attacks on your life have a lot less to do with who you are and a lot more to do with who you could become. The very things that the devil would use to weaken you could be the very same ones that God will use to strengthen and prepare you for his purpose. At the end of his trial, Job says of God, I know you can do all things and that no thought or purpose of yours can be restrained or thwarted. That's Job 42, 2. God never loses. His purpose will prevail. And if we really believe that he is good, then we have to believe that he has our best interest at heart. Um, 
take Joseph in the book of Genesis as an example. As a young boy, God gives him visions of the greatness he is destined for. Yet he's betrayed by his own brothers. They sell him into slavery. And later on, as a rich man's slave, Joseph does the right thing when he refuses to sleep with the boss's wife. And yet he ends up in jail as a rapist. Think about it. He must have been thinking, like, can I even get a break? And it's nearly 12 years that Joseph spends in captivity before God redeems his situation. But you know what's so amazing about God's plan? He uses the very jail that Joseph's been in to connect him with the Pharaoh, which results in God using Joseph to not only save Egypt, but reconcile him with his family and save the future nation of Israel. And you know what Joseph says at the end of this? Genesis 50, 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You hear that? God is in the details. Even the evil plans against us, working them out for our good. Romans 8:28 And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This verse doesn't mean that God will make everything in my life good if I love him enough. So often we see our life circumstances as, as what's active in our lives, and we forget that it's God who is active in the midst of every situation. So the things that this verse refers to are not necessarily good things. They might be bad, but God will work them out, redeem them for your good, and ultimately for his purpose. Sometimes we need to stop seeing things in the physical and ask God to help us use our spiritual eyes. What if the good is a deeper knowledge of God? Job understood that. After all his hardships, he says to God, I had heard of you only by the hearing of the ear, but now my spiritual eye sees you. That's Job 42.5. The Coraline translation of that is, I had a lot of knowledge of you stored up in my mind, but now my heart understands you in a new way, a revelation that gives me a vision of who you are. Charles Price says, we often make ourselves the end and God the means, but God is the end and we are privileged to be the means by which God's purposes are worked out. So often... It's easy to focus on our own stories. We get busy building our own little kingdoms, and we forget that we are part of a much bigger story, a much bigger kingdom. There was a boy who was conceived in the womb of an unwed mother. As a baby, his family became refugees in a foreign land. When they did return home, it was to a rather small, insignificant town where everyone knew his story, and they likely whispered about it behind his back. He wasn't the best-looking guy, rather plain, perhaps homely. There was nothing about his looks to attract people to him. He was trained as a skilled laborer, but deep in his heart, he knew he was destined for something more. When he answered the calling on his life and preached his first sermon, the congregation tried to throw him off a cliff. Later on, his hometown rejected him and his ministry. He went on to be betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was wrongly convicted, tortured, 
and died an innocent death on behalf of people who didn't deserve it. Of course, that's Jesus I'm talking about. The thing is, is we don't serve a king who lords over us, exalting in our pain, our grief, our suffering. We serve one who has lived it. Isaiah 53 says Jesus was despised, rejected, forsaken by men. He knew sorrow, pain, grief, and sickness. Yet he bears our grief, carries our sorrow and pain. He was oppressed and afflicted, but he submitted to God's will. He did not complain. He was judged unfairly, and it was for our sins. It was us that deserved to pay the penalty. No matter what you could be going through in this life, I don't think there's someone who's better qualified to understand that and to walk through it with you. Let's return to Peter in the midst of Jesus' story for a minute. Let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes as he watches Jesus, the guy he has given up everything to follow, and he's unfairly tried, beaten, and finally crucified. Think of the questions that must have swirled around in Peter's mind. I thought this guy was the Christ. Where are his miracles now? How can they do this to him? He's innocent. This is so unfair. God, how can you let this happen? Am I next? What will they do to me if, I, if they find out I'm his disciple? The sifting has begun, and it brings to surface the fear, questions, and things that Peter didn't even know he had in his heart. Then Peter does exactly what Jesus predicted, and he denies Christ three times. Imagine how low Peter must have felt when Jesus was buried. It must have felt like the end. His leader was dead. The disciples were scattered and afraid. And it appeared that Jesus had been defeated. I have this mental image of C.S. Lewis's story from uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is, of course, a depiction of Jesus' death. And... The witch and every evil thing that follows her are dancing and celebrating around the great lion as he suffers and dies. They revel in the perceived victory, but they have sorely miscalculated the greater purpose. The story was far from over. God's ways are so contrary to how we think. In him, brokenness brings wholeness. Suffering brings victory. A crucifixion brings a resurrection, and death brings life. God never loses. His plans are never thwarted. In Peter's time of sifting, he goes from questioning everything he believes to witnessing the greatest victory in history as Jesus defeats the enemy, is raised from the dead, and does away with death forever. But Peter's part of the story doesn't just end there. Peter's sifting serves as preparation for the ministry God has for him. He does go on to strengthen his brethren, just as Jesus said he would. Sifting might bring about some pretty dark and ugly things to surface in your life. But if you put God into the equation and surrender to him, he will help wash those things away. And the treasure you are left with will be what you need to fulfill his purpose. Paul in the New Testament has, he was no stranger to suffering and he has some pretty radical teachings 
on it. Romans 5, 2 to 4. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God is using the circumstances of our lives to mold us, Don't be discouraged. Look beyond the circumstance, past the resounding whys in your mind, and thank God that he is working out his plan in and through your life. If you haven't already figured it out, I'm preaching to myself when I say this. I don't say any of this flippantly. I know firsthand that it's easier said than done. If I choose to dwell on it, there's a lot of unanswered questions that could consume me and I start to see things through my own lens instead of God's. I don't know if I'll ever have the answers to the whys of this life or if they would make a difference. Um, It would probably still be painful. Are there a lot of things I want to ask God someday? Yeah, you bet. But surrendering to God's will means I need to let go of my own understanding and trust him. 2 Corinthians 4.16 So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You hear that? In the glory of eternity, these present sufferings will seem light and momentary. Is my hope in the temporary of this life or in the glory of eternity? For close to two years, it feels like I've lived with a lot of extreme change and uncertainty about my future. I haven't had a plan or a clear sense of what's next. Um, One day my mom said to me, you know, your life isn't any more uncertain than anyone else's. And I thought about it, and I realized that she was right. My life was just as uncertain the day before Jesse died as it was the day after. It's just my false sense of security and control were gone. The truth is, none of us know what tomorrow holds. Nevertheless, we serve a God who is already there. He already knows. There's a beautiful quote from Corey Ten Boone, and I don't know if you guys know who that is. If you don't, Google it. She's worth reading about. Um, and she says, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Just think about the power of that statement for a minute. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I don't know my future, but I know my God. And I know I can trust who he is. So really, what do I have to fear? Um, I just want to close with reading to you guys from Psalm 139, and it's kind of my own 
personal paraphrase version. And I just want to title it Perspective. And my prayer would be that each one of you would have a shift in perspective when you see your future, when you see your lives, when you see the lives of, of others. Um, so yeah, just maybe just close your eyes and just, just soak in this. Oh Lord, you have searched my heart and you know me. You have surrounded me and placed your hand on me. Your knowledge is so far beyond my understanding. You are everywhere in every situation. Your hand will lead me and hold me, even when I cannot see the way. And the darkness is everywhere. It is not dark to you. The darkness hides nothing from you. You see it all, you see through it all like I can see a path in broad daylight. Lord, you direct my path, even in the dark. You formed me in my mother's womb. I am astonished at the awesome power by which you have created me. You saw me and knew me before anyone else ever laid eyes on me. Nothing is hidden from you. You are the author of this story. All the days of my life were written by you before I ever came to be. How amazing it is that you think of me. More thoughts than I can count. When I walk on a sandy beach, I could not even begin to count the grains. And your thoughts of me outnumber all the grains of sand in the world. Even if I could count them all, you would still be there in the end, thinking of me. So God, I just thank you. I thank you for each person here, for each story, God, for how you redeem us and for how you redeem each story. God, I thank you that your plans are so much bigger than ours, so much higher than ours. And I thank you, Lord, that you will be glorified in each one of us, that that is your desire. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would shift our perspective, that you would open our spiritual eyes, that we would see you in a new revelation of who you are, that we would see our trials, our struggles in a new light, Lord, that we would learn how to walk with you in faith, in trust, even when it's dark, Lord. I thank you that you are the light. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Corlin. So good to hear stories. You know, sometimes I said to Corlin, don't you don't have to come and share uh, that you've arrived, that you figured it all out. Uh, sometimes all we hear is a testimony, the end of the story, but uh, maybe you're in the middle of it. And sometimes we need to be uh, encouraged that we're in the middle of it and there's hope on the other side and to keep going. And so I love it. Thank you for just sharing. And, and um, yeah, just so it's really neat because Coralyn came last year and you've been a part of her, sir. You've been tracking. She sent even words and prayers over me and the team and different things. And so it's just amazing you're so part of it and so thank you thank you well we are gonna we are gonna break for the afternoon and so you have free time you can do whatever you want to do uh sleep 
do whatever you want to do, uh, meet some new friends, talk to new people, or play some sports. Dean, uh, do you have any direction if you want to play sports, what we should do? Give it up for Dean. Okay, so I just went and checked, and they have, like, a giant Quonset over there, and I have a soccer ball, and there's a bunch of stuff, so anybody wants to come get some gear, and there's footballs, and we could go do that, or play games here, or go for a run, or hang out, or do whatever you want, but I'm going to go do that, so. Cool. And uh, supper is at 5 o'clock, and then we're going to also uh, have prayer tonight, and I believe prayer is at, I think it says 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 6.15, in this side room. It's just through here. And uh, just be pretty laid back, just come in and pray and press in and just soak in God. And 